0: Good afternoon and welcome to Everyday Law. I'm your host, Bob Clark. As always, this show does not reflect the views of Howard County Community College, faculty, employees, or students. And any legal information that is discussed in the context of this show is not intended to be legal advice. If you have an individual legal problem, it is important that you get the facts before a lawyer and discuss it individually. Today, we have a unique show. First of all, we have two guests, which has been uncommon historically. Both of them are returning stars from previous shows. And also, there's a particularly wonderful aspect of this show that I will briefly discuss, and that's this. That when you've been a lawyer for a long time, and I've been a lawyer for almost 38 years, you meet people. And across time, they come through your life and you see things that are kind of wonderful about events and one of the wonderful events that has occurred recently in my life is that one of our guests today was appointed to the circuit court for prince george's county maryland by governor hogan and that is our guest sharon kelsey welcome to the show sharon thank you bob with her today is ron schwartz award-winning broadcaster and prominent attorney in prince george's county and a dear friend of mine, and a dear friend of Sharon, and the two of them fit together in a wonderful story. Welcome to the show, Ron.
1: Good to be here, Bob.
0: So, first of all, Sharon, how is it being a judge?
2: Well, it's been about three weeks now, and I've been learning, and I've been touring, and I've been finding my way through the back hallways of the courthouse, and and honestly, I still really can't even quite believe it. (laughs)
0: We had the good fortune to come to your robing, as it were, and your investiture, and there was just a great deal of joy and a tremendous crowd there, and I bet that had to be a wonderful thing for you.
2: It really was, and um, it was exciting, and it was um, surprising in a lot of ways. It was very emotional. Um, we got the video back. We watched it again. We cried again, <laughs> so, <laughs> so we, it was very nice, yes.
0: What's the biggest surprise about things in your first three weeks?
2: I guess the biggest surprise for me is, you know, I've always been on the other side of zealous advocacy, but seeing it from the eyes of opposing counsel and from the eyes now of FactFinder has been quite different. And I've been seeing just how far attorneys are stretching, you know, zealous advocacy, you know, in order to try to get the best outcome for their clients. And it's been quite enjoyable.
0: Do you think that that is desirable? Are there any recommendations you would make to practitioners who appear?
2: I think it is desirable. Obviously, your client wants you to be a zealous advocate. I think you just need to know the line between being zealous and being unreasonable. Um, You know, sometimes you can make an argument and and we should make arguments. But if it's not really the best argument, then just kind of recognize that and put an end to it, you know, at a reasonable period in time. In
0: your experience, do you find that judges kind of give people a hint that maybe that argument has been made and needs to move on? Or how, how how have you seen that thus far?
2: Some I've seen subtle and some I've seen a little bit more aggressive. So there, there's a range, yeah.
0: And I presume you're now working with judges in front of whom you have appeared numerous times before.
2: Yes, I am. I'm sitting side by side with them and it's been wonderful and they've been wonderful. They have been really reaching out to me so that I can get up to speed and learn lots of things and, and be able to make the fair and impartial decisions that we're supposed to be making.
0: I'm going to get Ron involved in a minute, but I'd kind of like to talk to you about your origin story with regard to being a lawyer and now a judge. Could you tell our audience a little bit about that?
2: So, to summarize it, and, and I don't know about the young listeners out there if they know anything about Reader's Digest, but I'm going to give the Reader's <laughs> Digest version, which is just the short version a synopsis. A, a synopsis of the story. So, when I was very young, I was always interested in becoming a lawyer, and honestly, it started with Perry Mason. Um, I used to really enjoy the show, and I always talked about being a lawyer. and I ended up in eighth grade class once, and they wanted us to write a paper on what we wanted to be when we grew up. So I wrote the paper saying I wanted to be an attorney. And we had to use these Outlook handbooks. And the Outlook handbooks would say what the salary would be like in 10 or 20 years, and what the field would be like, and just information. And so it said that the field would be overcrowded. And so I wrote in my paper that the field would be overcrowded. And my teacher then read my paper, and she looked and she said, Well, If it's going to be overcrowded, maybe you should choose something else because it may be difficult for you to get in. And so I said, oh, okay." And so I decided to go CPA route. And um, I went the math route, but it just, you know, it didn't quite fit. It just I was good at it and I, I did it, but it just it didn't fit. So my mom left when I was 18. She did missionary work. I was on my own going to school part time and I needed a job. So Ron Schwartz here put an ad in the paper for a legal secretary. So I answered the ad, went to work for Ron, worked for him for a while. And this was probably 20 years later now. So we're skipping from eighth grade to my young 20s. And Ron says, ultimately, you should go to law school. And I says, no, I heard it's overcrowded. <laughs> I learned in eighth grade. <laughs> that it's going to be overcrowded. And Ron said to me, it's overcrowded for white Anglo-Saxon males. It's not overcrowded for African-American females. you don't believe me, check out the numbers. And I did. And next thing I knew, I was filling out applications. And I was going, and I got admitted to Georgetown. And then next thing you know, here I am.
0: (laughs) So, Ron, why don't you pick up the origin story of Sharon, if you will?
1: Well, we're talking the late 80s, I guess. We're talking 88, 87, that Mm -hmm. that time. I can't. You know, I had my 64th birthday the other day, and so it's hard for me to remember years anymore. But it was in the late 80s. I was a few years out of law school. I got out of law school, and I hung out a shingle with a friend of mine, which is an unusual thing to do. Most lawyers try to work for a firm, and I did work for a labor law firm in Baltimore. I was sort of a contract employee, but I wanted to start my own firm, and I had a friend of mine that I went to law school that – We were pretty compatible, and we formed a partnership in Silver Spring. We just rented sort of a decrepit little office in Silver Spring and, and, you know, hung out a shingle, and we're getting cases from lawyer referral. And we did this for a few years, and we weren't making very much money. And uh, my friend, who's still a dear friend of mine, he's now a D.C. workers comp commissioner, Jeff Russell. A
0: guest on this show. Mm
1: -hmm. uh, He didn't like – the vagaries of not knowing whether you had a paycheck coming in next week, which is a difficult thing when you're a sole practitioner. And so he ultimately couldn't handle the stress of being a sole proprietor in a small practice, and he got a real job. He went to work first for another firm down the street and then ultimately for an insurance company.
2: You had a real job.
1: Yeah, well, I did. (laughs) I did. So... But I didn't have much money, and one of the ways I kept my expenses down was I would hire students. I'd put ad in the University of Maryland student newspaper, the Diamondback, and I would run ad for students because, you know, they would be hired at low wages, and they, I needed somebody to answer the phones and keep my files. I didn't need anything, you know, important, and and, and, and I didn't have a lot of money to pay them, so... And I had, you know, various quality of people that would answer these ads. I mean, some of them stole from me. I had a couple of them that did. Uh, one of them was a high school. She was, I think, a senior in high school. And she was a pretty good typist, but she got pregnant with her boyfriend and needed money. And people would come and pay me in cash. And, you know, she was writing checks out of the book. So I've had several employees in that period of time that stole. And some were good and some were bad. And one day, Sharon answered the ad. And... Sharon was in her early 20s. She was going to school. She was on her own. She was going to university college at night, part time. Uh and, And she had worked at Riggs Bank. And I don't know why she, you know, I think she needed a part time job because she was trying to finish school and she didn't want to, you know, work long hours. And she answered my ad. And, uh, the thing is I, I think that I've I've had I've had one secretary now for almost 15 20 years who was a professional secretary but other than her I've never had an employee that was as competent as Sharon and it was just it wasn't just that she was competent it was that she was really into the job she wanted to be a lawyer she was interested in the job and she's an incredibly organized person and I am the opposite. I, you know, my files were all over the place. I think I'm a smart and creative thinker, but I don't keep my files in order. I don't know which end is up.
0: So was it helpful to have Sharon? It was
1: incredibly helpful. She sort of fixed me up. She got me on the right track. She got my files organized. She answered the phones. She was professional on the phones. She is a you know, a winsome person, you know, you, if you meet Sharon, you immediately fall in love with her. And it came through on the phone. My clients, you know, I, I'm sort of one of these people that. You know, I tell people when they screw up and people don't always want to hear that, but
0: don't tell them that gently, do you?
1: <laughs> no. I'm a direct guy. I'm sort of a Chris Christie kind of in your face sort of, you know, if you screwed up, I'll let you know it and, you know, then I sometimes try to back off and say, "Look, I'm I don't want to come down on you, but, you know, you, you really did screw up." And and Sharon's not that way. Sharon's, you know, just nice to people. And they loved talking to her, and they would love to tell her their stories. But she was also precise. It wasn't like she wasted time on the phone. She got the story. They wanted to talk to her. She kept the trains running on time in my office, which is something that I needed. And, uh, you know, it's a funny thing. And I told this story at her invest at her investiture in front of the entire bench and bar and elected officials of Prince George's County. But I have these files. They were all manila, you know, plain vanilla, white files.
2: Stacked to the ceiling Stacked, when know, I because, came to interview. Because Stacked I, to the ceiling. And
1: still, still, I wish I had taken a picture of my office today because it's still it's still the same. You know, the files come out. I don't put them away. They, I know I have to do something on it. and I'm afraid that if I put it away, I'll forget I have to do something on it because I'm not good about making lists. So I just keep the files in my office as a reminder that I need to do something on them. And so they just pile up on the desk and the papers pile up, you know and then i need to go and look for a file and there's 30 files in the desk and you need to file the one and they all look the same right <laughs> and you know they have a little name tag on the on the little tab with the name but you're sitting there shuffling through files you know where is the smith file and there there's 40 files on the desk and saran so came up with a brilliant idea since I have a general practice and I do different kinds of work, to color code the different types of files. So if you're in a divorce case, you get a blue file. Because they're blue. Because they're blue. Know, they're blue. All right. and, if, and if you're in a bankruptcy case, you get a red file. <laughs> because,
0: <laughs> because you're in because the, you're the red? Because you're in the red.
1: <laughs> and if you're in a PI case, I don't know why
2: yellow personal is for injury personal. Case. P- the PI, yellow were the ambulance lights.
1: Oh, I never <laughs> I figured like that, that out. So I I thought that green would have been better. No, for green, was for green, green was for juvenile because they're green behind
2: the, the ears. Correct.
1: Okay. So you there know, was a I, method to your madness, Sharon. There was a method. On. You know, and, and green, by the way, is not. I don't do much juvenile work. Green is everything else. Green is the other file, general civil litigation. Right. It's morphed into that. And uh, the orange was for criminal. Is criminal. I don't know what the reason for that was. I either. don't know. Maybe I... it was just that was the last one. Well, but...
2: the, well, don't, don't let's not forget about those orange jumpsuits. Oh, ah, <laughs> <laughs>
1: there you go. So, see, I never really asked her why. I didn't need to know. It was just a brilliant system that because I had all kinds of different cases, if you color code the files, then if, you, if you're if you looking for a file and you know it's a criminal case, well, okay, you can eliminate the other four categories. Right. So you're only looking through three or four orange files instead of 40 white files. And go. and to this day, that is the filing system in my office, almost 40 years later, because it's now 2019, and I think it's been probably 40 years mm-hmm. since you worked for me. You're well, close to it, 30.
2: Well, well, golly, late 80s.
0: <laughs> so <laughs> So let me just ask you, Ron, one question. How did you feel when you first became Ron's employee and saw the existing system of organization?
2: Oh Well, and it's funny, too, because, you know, you think he was trying to hire me, but, you know, he showed me all the files, and I know that I have a look of horror on my face when I was in his (laughs) office looking at all these files and folders, and then he says, well, wait a minute, let let me show you back here. So he takes me in the library, and he shows me the files stacked up, and then he takes me to his old partner's office, and he shows the files all stacked up, and I. I said, okay, I'll be here, but we got to fix this. (laughs) So I started working for Ron, and I love Ron, and I loved working for Ron, and he was just – he was great.
0: (laughs) So, Ron, what prompted you to suggest Sharon go to law school?
1: Well, she was interested in – I mean, Sharon is a sponge, and she wanted to know everything about what I did. I have a secretary now that's been with me 15 or 20 years, and I talk to her all the time because I'm alone in the office with her and we're friends. But she's not as much interested in in the process of how it works. Sharon wanted to know everything. Sharon wanted to know not just what what I did, but why I did it. Mm -hmm. She wanted to know everything about it. She was interested and. And she was capable, and she was smart, and she was articulate, and she cared. Aren't those the qualities that you would want in a lawyer? Absolutely. I mean, those are what we need. Lawyers have a terrible reputation. Everybody thinks lawyers are in it for the money, that lawyers are sleazy used car salesmen, that lawyers will do whatever they need to do for their clients, and they have no ethics. And I don't find the profession to be that way. I, in my 38 years of doing this, 37 I find that most lawyers are honest and ethical. Now that is not to say that there are not some that are not, that don't pass the test. And I have a list, and those people that in my mind don't meet those standards, I never forget it. I know who they are. and if I have to deal with them again, I deal with them accordingly in my own mind. But I don't find that that's indicative of the profession. I think most people take their job seriously. Most people try the best for their clients. With most lawyers, their word is their bond. If they say something, then you can count on it. And I've always been that way. And I expect the lawyers that I deal with To be the same and some of the lawyers i've had the best relationship in my legal career are people that were adversarial to me Uh in the case that we fought a really tough case and after the case was over the two lawyers really liked each other we thought you know they did a great job and they were honest and ethical that is respect and those are people that sent me cases later than i sent cases to them and that we've had a long-standing relationship
2: and look and meanwhile I'm just coming to work every day, you know, doing what I think is the best thing to do and little did I know that he was seeing me that way, you know. And ultimately, you know, when he comes to me and he says you should go to law school. Not, you know, I'm a secretary. Not you should be a paralegal. You should go to law school. You should just jumped me like straight to the top. And I was like I was like, "What?" So, you know, it was it was just a surprise there and it's just very rewarding, too. You know, lots of people work for people and they feel underappreciated. You know, Ron never made me feel that way. And so it's just wonderful to know that somebody sees something in you.
0: Did you have to switch anything up to make, you know, once he said you should go to law school and you started to think about it, did you change it all or was it kind of the way you would always done things?
2: Changed what, working in the office? Yeah. No, no, I just kept working in the office now. And then ultimately, though, because I had no money, I mean, I just had a six-year-old escort and, you know, like, you know, paycheck to paycheck, you know, really. I had to leave, Ron, because I had to go work somewhere else and try to make more money because I'm trying to, to save money so sure. that I can start going to law school. So then I, I did. I left and I got a job and I filled out my applications. And by the end of that summer, I had been accepted, you know, at Georgetown. And thankfully, well, I was accepted first to George Washington. But then Georgetown came back and they had more money for me. And since I didn't have any, I had to leave George Washington and say hello to Georgetown. So then I started going to law school there and by my was it was it the first year or my second year was when you know you start looking for clerkship positions out there and you know Ron talking about his network of attorneys well Bob you were one you know because whenever Ron would be in court or he'd be on vacation or out of the office I had a list and he's you know if an issue comes up on criminal call this attorney and if an issue comes up for PI call this attorney and if an issue comes up for juvenile call this attorney and you were one of the ones that were on the list and you frequently dropped by you know and, and would come and see Ron and you I would have lunch or, you know, talk law, or whatever. And so you were around frequently. And again, unbeknownst to me, you were kind of watching, you know, me. And so by the time I'm looking for a job, a clerkship, I'm interviewing, and you know, they have those, they set them up in hotels, and you go from hotel room to hotel room, and you're doing these interviews. And I'm doing these interviews day after day, and I swear to God, you know, the interview, the rejection letters were beating me home. You know, by the time I got home, there they were. No, we're sorry. Thank you. So and so, such, 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 And so I'm talking to Ron, and Ron says, I was talking to Bob, and he says, he think you'd be great in his firm. You should give him a call. And so at that point, I was like, oh, yeah, he's probably just being nice. And, you know, I didn't call that day. And so I went to school the next day, and I remember coming home, and I still had my backpack on my shoulder. And, you know, again, I keep telling my age, these young kids don't know about these voices, but the— Answer machines we used to have. So the light's flashing on the answer machine when I get up to my room. And I push the button and it's, hi, Sharon, this is Bob Clark. <laughs> and he says, Ron was telling me that you're looking for a clerkship and I think you'd be great. You should give a call. I dropped my backpack on the floor so fast and <laughs> picked up the phone. I said, oh, my God, let me call him back before he call somebody else. So call Bob. Bob had me come in, met with him and Chris Mangold at Coons McKinney. Had an interview, and next thing I knew, I had a job. <laughs>
0: How could I not hire you when all Ron has ever done is praise not only what a capable person you are, but a wonderful human being you are? And that's really what you want to have as your coworkers.
2: Mm-hmm. Yep, and and it was a great office too. We had a great a great office. You know you and Chris and Dean and John's and lot I mean you know it was it was a great little group, and we got along really well and it was it was a great experience that I had working there for. I stayed there for about six years, I think all told first as a law clerk for the first two years, then I passed the bar, and then they extended an offer and then uh, as an associate
0: so you left Coons McKinney, and what happened next?
2: I left Coons McKinney, and I started my own practice. And just kind of had my head down, working, working, working. A little bit like Ron. For a while, yep. I was a sole practitioner. Um, I got a partner, Sharon D. Berry. She and I got together to, you know, like Ron says, it's tough. And you're trying to cut expenses. So, you know, you're sharing the rent and all the other expenses. So we worked for a while and worked for a while. And then ultimately I started getting involved in things and kind of getting out there. And I started doing some, I think initially I started doing some uncontested divorce, you know, your bread and butter kind of stuff. Oh, and well, the good thing is when I left Coons McKinney, 48 of my clients came with me. So I had a good base of cases to start with. So that was great. So I had my PI and my workers' comp, and then I started doing uncontested divorce, a few bankruptcy cases, and that did me for a while. And you knew how to do the bankruptcy because at the
1: time, I would say my bankruptcy practice was probably the biggest part of my practice. And at the time well before computerized forms when you file a bankruptcy case you have to file about 30 or 40 pages of financial disclosures your budget your income your expenses all your assets all your debts and they had to be typed up on these forms yep and they you know you would roll the forms into the typewriter i mean it was pre-computerized bankruptcy forms and and sharon would meet the clients and get their bankruptcy information and type up the forms well, so she, she knew how to do it.
2: I sure did. And and it's funny cuz when I but when I got to law school, I, I have to be honest, I got to law school, I thought, "Oh, I know bankruptcy." And and then that's when I learned in the difference between practice and, and theory and you know, so not sure. quite the same. But yes, yeah, so I did some bankruptcy for a while, and then the bankruptcy laws changed ultimately, and so my bankruptcy practice tanked. I, by then, I probably had about 200 cases a year, but it tanked down to like 5. And so I was like, oh, need to do something else. And then that's when I started being an attorney for the Calvert County Department of Social Services. And I was sole counsel down there for about five years. And then word got out in Prince George's County. So ultimately, I left Calvert County, and Reshern Baker had contacted me and asked me, And, you know, again, someone was watching and Reshern called or his assistant, Glenda Wilson, and says, you know, oh, well, the county executive wants to know, would you like to be contract attorney for our child abuse and neglect um, division here in Prince George's County? So then I started doing that. And uh, then next thing I knew, another and actually, Greg Wells had referred me to Rasher and Baker. And so then Greg Wells had also had said, you know, hey, would you like to serve with me on the Judicial Nominating Commission? And so I started. So are we
0: talking about Judge Greg Wells or malpractice lawyer Greg malpractice
2: Wells? Malpractice lawyer Greg Wells. Yes. And so at, he's um shadowing Michael Wells. Right Lawwell. Right on Rockville. And so I I sat with him and, you know, 12 other commissioners and we uh, started interviewing people and reviewing applications for judgeships. And that's kind of where I got my first itch, you know. So I was looking at it, looking at the applications, but I didn't want to apply because I enjoyed being on the commission and I didn't want to lose my seat, you know, in case I didn't make it. So, you know, Governor Hogan came along and and helped me make a decision because I did two terms. Well, when he came, I didn't get to retain my seat. And so I said, OK, well, then time to go ahead and apply then because now I'm off. So I started putting my application in, and I was focused on being a judge. And meanwhile, I got tapped for being, you know, on the liquor board, and I got tapped for being a hearing examiner for the school board, and I got tapped for being president of the bar associate. And I kept thinking, why do I keep getting what I don't ask for? You know, but everybody is around, everybody's seeing me, and people are just coming to me, offering me these positions. And what I didn't realize is that while I wanted something, I needed those other things. And those other things were the stepping stones that led me to what I wanted. And so um, thankfully, just because of the work that I do, you know, I get noticed and people had offered me different positions and which led me to where I am now. I believe that
0: you indicated the last time you were on that you speak to young people, kind of about your experience, and I forget the exact title, it's sort of along the lines of you never know who's watching. Could you discourse on that briefly?
2: Well, no, absolutely. You never know who's looking, and I think that you have to always be prepared for the opportunity that you don't see, or that you don't know is coming, because you never know when opportunity is going to tap you on the shoulder. And so you just always have to be ready. So and everywhere, you know, not just at a job, but, you know, I got involved with bar associations. And so I got put in leadership positions. You know, I was treasurer for the Bourne Bar Association for four years, you know, and they said, well, why don't you be president? You know, and again, I was like, well, I don't really, I don't know, I'm, I'm good being treasurer, you know, but I fi- finally I said, OK, I'm going to be president. And that put me in places where I would never have been. And then that put me in front of people that I never would have met. And then that just widened my circle. And those people are now seeing me in this leadership position and, you know, engaging with the organization, planning, organizing, you know, budgeting, you know, that kind of thing. And so just everywhere you go, whether it be an organization, whether it be in school, whether it be at work, whether it be in social settings, you should just always do the best that you can do whatever you're doing. And somebody's watching. You'd be surprised at who's watching. And, you know, as a matter of fact, I was talking to my sister-in-law just the other day, and she looks for high school students for a program. She works for EEOC. And we were just saying that when she goes somewhere, she's just in church, and she sees some of the students doing some things. And so it's the ones that you keep seeing run back and forth, four or five. And you're like, well, who is she? she? You know, she's busy, rather than the one in the corner on the cell phone with their head down and not paying attention. So you could be somewhere as simple as that. And that's, you know, you don't want to put you want to put out a positive vibe, a working vibe, an ethical vibe, you know, so that people will want you and it will just come what you're seeking or wherever life's path is going to take you. It will come.
0: Well, Ron, I think you did us all a great favor by hiring Sharon long ago. I don't think you had a lot of legal
2: secretary experience at the time, did you? I did not. I had no legal experience <laughs> at the time. I typed fast. Um, I remember Ron gave me my typing test. Did I give you typing test? He gave me a typing test. And he's sitting in there. And I remember I come back and I hand him the paper. He didn't even look at it. And he goes, I heard you. <laughs> Because, you know, here I go again, Date myself, that old Selectric 2 typewriter, you know, not on the computer. But he's like, oh, I heard you. That's fast enough for me.
1: (laughs) Well, what she didn't tell you is I I type 60 words a minute myself. And I still, to this day, I type my own motions. I type my own letters. I, I have a secretary that types 100 words a minute. And she doesn't type for me because I find it's easier for me to compose my own letters. Yeah. Now, now in the modern age with computers, all kids learn to keyboard. And, you know, I think a lot of people still hunt and peck and use their index fingers. But Sherrod and I learned the old way with, you know, ASDF and J.K.L. semicolon. Uh-huh. And, you know, my father made me learn that in high school. He said that if you're going to go to college and you're going to write papers— Type papers will give you a leg up, and so this is back in the seventies. You right. know, I was in a class full of girls. They were all like it, it, the name of the course was alphabet shorthand and, and typing. And they so were, there
0: was some additional benefit.
1: They were they, well, <laughs> there, there, right. there was, but I was sort of uh, I, I, I was sort of the. Uh, an element that probably the typing teacher who was an old sort of school marmish business teacher didn't really like. There was there was two or three boys in a class of like thirty that were in the back, you know, causing trouble in typing because <laughs> boys in high school are, are different than girls. Yeah, and my so, and
2: my mom was my inspiration. She typed a hundred and two words a minute on the Old typewriter, even before the selection. The Underwoods, on the, on the, the old the manuals. Yeah, and you know, I check in from school. I call and I say, you know, Mom, I'm home from school. And that typewriter never took a break. She pick up that phone, answer me, and make sure I was good, and hang up. And that typewriter was still going in the background. And I never got as good as I think I. I maxed out at ninety three. <laughs> on that ancient
0: reminiscence, I fear we have to close the show, I would say, and I think Ron would join me in saying this, how proud we are and how happy we are, we are that you're now a circuit court judge. And it does really seem like with you, the sky's the limit. Thank oh, you, Sharon. Thank you. Thank, thank you, you. And,
2: Ron. And I just want to say how much I just love you too. I mean, obviously, later on in my life, you two were the two that got me back on the path. So here we are. Thank you.
0: You are thank most you. welcome. <laughs> This has been Everyday Law. I'm your host, Bob Clark. Farewell and take some inspiration from Sharon Kelsey.
1: Connect with us. We are Dragon Digital Radio.